This is Out of Office for March 2014, our Out of Office productivity platform. Welcome to the Out of Office podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Gihan. I'm well. Something weird is happening in Perth today. Have you noticed? Uh, what, the big yellow ball in the sky has disappeared? It has. It's raining. It hasn't <laughs> rained for three months. It's weird. I know. It's kind of nice to have the cool change, isn't it? Sure is. Although I think it's a little bit funny that we say that uh, we're going to have a maximum of 30 degrees today, and that's a cool change for Perth. Good, good. And how are you? Yeah, really well, really well. And so we're going to talk about productivity today, and uh, it's really good that we spent the first 30 seconds of our podcast talking about the weather. <laughs> so we're going to talk about some of the productivity tools that we use, and we've called this our out-of-office productivity platform because we're going to talk about some of the things that we use for our own personal productivity, especially working in an out-of-office environment. So we're going to share 15 things in 30 minutes. So obviously we don't have time for uh, getting into much detail, especially because we've already talked about the weather, just use up some of that time. And uh, what we're going to talk about today are not necessarily what we think are the best tools available for everybody, but they're the best for us, and they're the things that we use right now. And of course, everyone's different, so you'll have to discover what works best for you. But um, yeah, our hope is that by seeing what we're doing, you'll be able to either copy some of the tools for yourself or adapt them for your own needs, and maybe you'll find some alternatives that work for you. So we're going to go into some of the specific tools that we use, but as a general principle, I've got three guidelines for choosing technology and tools that are that are most, more likely to be really flexible and future-proof so that you don't have to keep chopping and changing. And it's based on my broad idea that the internet has made the world now fast, flat, and free. Uh, and I don't want to go into that in too much detail, uh, but broadly, if you apply that to productivity and technology tools, uh, if you look at fast, flat, and free, I recommend that you're looking at technology that's also fast, flat, and free, and that translates to cloud open and subscription. So fast is, if you like, the cloud, so things that are accessible anywhere. A flat is where you look for things that are open, so things that encourage extensions and plugins, and they connect nicely with other things. So it doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be open source, but it makes it easy for people to connect with those tools. And free, uh, some of the tools we're talking about are free, but the ones that aren't, we'd recommend the ones that are available on a subscription basis rather than buying them for a one-off fee. So you get upgrades and support when you pay for a subscription. Um, and all of this stuff is particularly relevant for us as out-of-office workers because the, the traditional work style tends to be the exact opposite of fast, flat, and free. It's like, if you like, a slow, bumpy, and expensive. And many offices are still set up with that sort of legacy technology and legacy infrastructure. And it, it's not really very helpful for out-of-office work. So for many of us as out-of-office workers, we might have to be kind of leading the way in changing the way that people look at tools and technology in our workplaces. So we're going to look at 15 things in 30 minutes, and we've broadly broken them down into five areas. So let's start with the first one, which is time management. And, uh, since I've used up quite a bit of time, Chris, I'm going to be very quick with the first one. It's a very simple app, and it's a timer on my phone. And uh, every phone, every smartphone's got that. And I use this for implementing the Pomodoro technique, or what's called work sprints, which is basically uh, work at a dedicated task for a very short period of time. And the Pomodoro technique recommends 25 minutes. I tend to go for 40 or 45 and you set the timer you work on that then you have a short break so that's the first one uh, that is very simple just a timer app on my phone excellent well something that we spent a lot of time doing Gihan is 
browsing the web. So having a web browser that facilitates doing that productively is really important. And for that reason, I use Mozilla Firefox. And one of the really good things about Firefox is that it has a really big library of extensions. Um, and it's had this for a really long time. Now, I think other tools like Internet Explorer and maybe Safari also support this, but they've really only adopted this approach recently. And for that reason, they don't have this great big wealth of extensions that you can draw from. So these are just plugins that you add to the browser, install into the browser, and it gives you some additional functionality. I'm going to talk about some of the extensions in the other sections, uh, uh, some of the extensions that I use. But one of the ones I'll mention here that's related to browsing productively uh, is one that I used to use. Uh, it's called Mouse Gestures. And what it allows you to do is to perform various browsing tasks like open a new tab or go back to the previous page or reload the current page. Uh, using uh, by clicking the right mouse button and making a particular gesture with the mouse. And that means there's less uh, movement of your hand backwards and forwards between the keyboard and the mouse and you can browse more quickly. Um, the reason I don't use that anymore is I've changed to, I've, I don't have a mouse, I use a more ergonomic uh, pointing device and so most of the time now I'm trying to do things that mean only using the keyboard. Um, but if you're a person who uses a mouse, I can recommend giving the mouse gestures extension uh, a try. Another really uh, good thing in Mozilla Firefox is what's called the awesome bar, I think it's referred to, and that's essentially the, the, the navigation bar, because it remembers all of the web pages that you've visited. And if you want to go back to uh, a web page that you visited previously, all you need to do is type in a few keys. Uh, a few keystrokes, so a few letters from either the URL or the title of the page, and because Firefox has remembered that you visited them in the past. It starts automatically suggesting uh, pages that match the, key, the keystrokes that you've entered. So with just a few key types, you can get back to any of the pages, uh, get back to the page that you're looking for. So I do a lot of wiki editing, and I also use a bug tracking tool. And it's really easy for me to just type wiki and then a few letters from the title of the page I want to get to. And uh, Firefox brings it up, and, and I go to it just like that. It's a really useful uh, way of navigating. And the other feature I really like about uh, Firefox is its sync feature. So that means that no matter where I use Firefox, I use it on multiple PCs, I, use it on, I can use it on my smartphone and my tablet. Um, no matter where I use it, all of the extensions, all of my history, all of my remembered passwords and form fields that I filled in, all of those are remembered and synchronized across any of the Firefox instances that I use. So I get the same browser experience regardless of where I'm using Firefox. And that's really productive. I don't have to remember, oh, I'm on this PC. Uh, this one doesn't have so-and-so's extension installed. Everything is the same no matter where I'm using Firefox. And I found that really useful. Yeah, great. And I'm just going to not say very much about my browser except to say that I use Google Chrome. And for very similar reasons that you've talked about Firefox, Chris, uh, you know, the, the same sort of things. Uh, and uh, I find it, I used to use Firefox and I find that Chrome on my PC loads and runs much faster. And like you, I'm using keyboard shortcuts now so that I, that I have to use the mouse as little as possible. Yeah, I think it's really important, Gihan, because we uh, because we do so much browsing, even those small gains in performance and productivity really add up at the end of the day. Mm. So moving on, uh, let's talk about uh, how we use our email. So I've been using Google's Mail, uh, which is Gmail, for a long time, and it's cloud-based. So uh, that means that no matter where I am, I can get to my mailbox, I can read it, I can delete files, I can re re, re uh, uh, so move them to different folders and it doesn't matter where I've done this uh, it's reflected in every instance that I connect to it 
but if you have like a, a desktop-based tool like Outlook, uh, you've just got this one master file sitting on a hard disk somewhere, and even if you're consuming uh, via a webmail service, uh, that means that later on you still have to synchronize uh, the changes that you've made elsewhere when you get back to your desktop, which is really awkward and time-consuming. So having a single copy of your mail in the cloud is uh, a really uh, important gain in productivity. Um, now, you might be wedded to the particular desktop mail client that you use, and that's not a problem. If you're, if you're familiar with Outlook, you can still use it with uh, a cloud-based mail service like Gmail. I really like Thunderbird. I've been using that for a long time, but I've just uh, configured it to use Gmail as the, the mail server, and, and it works fine. Cool. Okay, so those are broadly some time management things. So the next area we're going to look at is how we consume information because, of course, there's a lot of information that everybody gets nowadays and consuming it efficiently and effectively can really boost your productivity. So one of the things that I use is the Kindle. And I have a Kindle, but more particularly, I have the Kindle app on my phone, on my tablet, on my PC. And uh, using the Kindle app just makes my reading so much more efficient now. And I very rarely buy print books because uh, and if I find a book that's only available in print and not available on Kindle, I find it a little bit annoying because then I have to carry this book around with me to read it. Uh, and Kindle eBooks are so much more productive. And it's not only eBooks. So the Kindle app and the, the Kindle software allows me to send other things to Kindle. There's a, there's a send to Kindle a bit of software that I download to my PC and I can send web pages or articles or PDF documents to my Kindle, which uh, goes to the Kindle in the cloud, which then means that I can read it on my phone or my tablet. And I tend to now read on my phone or my tablet using the Kindle app much more than actually read on the Kindle, uh, on, on my Kindle itself. So I find that really handy because I'm usually, uh, well, I always have my phone with me and I usually have my tablet as well. Especially when I'm traveling, I'll take my tablet with me to do my reading. And that's really uh, that's really efficient because I carry this one tablet which has all my, my whole library on it. So I find the Kindle uh, really handy, uh, not just because it means I don't have to carry all these books around, but because I do carry them in one place in the cloud and then I have access to them from everywhere. Okay, cool. That send to Kindle feature sounds a lot like uh, a tool that you brought to my attention, Gihan. At the time, it was called Read It Later, but it's more recently changed its name to Pocket. Um, and I prefer the previous name because Read It Later described exactly what it did. It's a tool that allows you to bookmark interesting content for reading later. So the really important thing here is that it prevents you from getting distracted. Often the temptation is that when you come across some interesting, uh, some interesting article, someone sends it to you, or you just stumble across it, is to, to, to dive into it right then and there, uh, rather than setting it aside for reading later. So you could send it to your Kindle, but I use, um, I use Pocket or read it later. And then that, that, the link to that article is stored in your reading list, which is in the cloud. And then um, I've got a browser extension, which means that when it's time for me to actually catch up on my reading, I can read it in my web browser on my desktop, or I've also got the read it later apps on my smartphone and tablet. So if I'm relaxing uh, downstairs, I can use my smartphone or my tablet to catch up on my reading list. The other useful thing is that um, uh, once you've got your read once you've built your reading list, you can share things that you've that you've put into your reading list with tools like Buffer, and that's what I'm going to talk about next. So Buffer is a tool for 
easily managing the publication of interesting links to your followers and other social media platforms. I first started using it just to publish interesting links to Twitter, but more recently I've expanded that to post um, post the same links to both LinkedIn and to a Google Plus page I've set up based on um, the visualization work that I do. Uh, and the useful thing about it is that when you come across something that you think you should share, whether it's from your reading list or something you've stumbled across, uh, there's a browser extension that allows you from directly in that page just to post that link into your buffer queue and then I've scheduled buffer to publish my links to Twitter, to Google Plus and to LinkedIn uh, in the evening once a day. Yeah, and I think, Chris, this is one of those areas where I think you've got to decide what's going to be right for you. So you already mentioned that you use Pocket and Buffer, or Pocket, to store articles for reading later rather than the Kindle. And I do the same, actually. I use Pocket more than Kindle or send to Kindle, but you could use one or the other. And that combination of Pocket and Buffer works really well together. So you can bookmark things in Pocket, read them, and then share them directly from your phone or your tablet using Buffer. And similarly, the things we're just about to talk about in the storage area, like Dropbox, Evernote, and Google Drive, you could also use them as a way of storing things temporarily for reading. So this is one of those things where you've got to find out, you've got to like experiment with these things and figure out what's going to be most efficient and effective for you. So with that in mind, the two storage uh, productivity tools that I use are Dropbox and Evernote, and they're quite similar. And in fact, when I was thinking about what's the real difference and what's the real distinction about them, there really isn't a strong distinction. So I can't really say Dropbox is specifically for this and Evernote specifically for this. But intuitively, I know when I want to save something in Dropbox and save something in Evernote. So Dropbox is a place for sharing files. And it's like having a hard disk in the cloud. That's the way I like to think of it. So I drag files into my Dropbox folder on my PC and they're magically available on my phone and tablet and vice versa. So for example, example, my to-do list for the week is a, is a file in Dropbox. So whenever I update it, it's available across all my, all my devices. Um, if I subscribe to podcasts, then they're available in my podcast feed. But sometimes I find audio and video that I want to watch later, which you can download. And then I put them into a Dropbox folder, which then means I can uh, listen or watch them on my phone later. Um, and other documents that I want to quickly transfer to my phone or back. So I might see something on my phone and I put it in a Dropbox folder so I can access it later on my PC. Now, Evernote does something quite similar because, again, it's for sharing and storing anything, any documents. And uh, I think that the main difference is that it's better for organizing and it's better for like snippets of stuff. So I will have folders in Evernote, for example, for a book that I'm writing. Anytime I come across an article that could be useful reference for the book or I take a photograph of something that I know I'll be able to use later in the book or find a useful infographic that might have some um, interesting stats that I can use in the book, I store them in, my, in that Evernote folder for the book. And it's a little bit more convenient than Dropbox, which is more for files, whereas this is for like, it could be little snippets of information and it's also easier to tag and sort and search articles and stuff in Evernote. So I use both Dropbox and Evernote. I find them both really powerful tools. Uh, both of them have free versions and I've upgraded both to the paid version. So Dropbox, the paid version just gives you lots of extra space. Uh, but the free version of two gigabytes is, is quite, it's quite generous 
for a free tool. Uh, with Evernote, the free version is pretty good, but it, it has some limits on the, the kind of files that you can store in Evernote. So I think you can store PDF files, but maybe not Word and Excel documents. And also, the one of the other nice things about, I think it's only in the paid version, is that it's got an offline option, which means that when I store my files in Evernote, they get transferred to my phone and tablet and get stored there so that even if I, even if I'm traveling when I don't have access to the internet like on a long flight uh, I still have access to all the flights in my, all of the files in my Evernote account so I'm happy to pay the I think some ridiculously expensive fee of like five dollars a month to have access to the paid version of Evernote but both Dropbox and Evernote are used for sharing documents and storing them in the cloud and uh, the other the other really useful thing about both of these, and I know we're not talking about collaboration, but both of them do allow you to then share those documents with other people as well, selectively. So I can create a Dropbox folder that I share with other people or even individual documents that I share. And similarly with Evernote, I can share things with other people if I want to selectively. Okay, yeah. So for similar reasons, I use Google Drive. So people probably remember that Google Drive started out as Google Docs, and it was basically a cloud-based productivity suite, so a word processor, a spreadsheet, slide deck, those kinds of tools. But uh, Google then expanded it to a general file, a cloud-based file storage system. So you can really, you can upload any kind of file that you like to Google Drive, and then if it happens to be a spreadsheet document, then you can edit it in the cloud if you want to. We're going to talk about collaboration in a moment. Um, so that's the, the, we used Google Drive for collaborating on the out-of-office book. We had uh, a master copy in the cloud, uh, and we had various notes and other things as well there. And when we work on this on our podcast, we also have notes that are shared in Google Google Drive. One of the things that makes collaboration easy with Google Drive is the fact that you've got these simple controls for determining who can access those files. So you can give them read-only access or you can allow them to edit them as well. You can do that on a per-folder basis or you can do that on an individual document basis as well. Uh, and that's very easy and you can also leave comments and notes on documents and, and all of the collaborators can see and share what they've said. Yeah, and I really like that you've started talking about collaboration when you're talking about sharing files, Chris, because that's a big part of it. Most people, when they talk about collaboration, they're talking about things like online meetings, which we will talk about. But a really big part of this is when you're working on a project together, you want to have a master copy of the files and only one copy. And it's very risky and cause a lot of problems when different people have different copies of the files and they're sending them around as, as email attachments. So Google Drive in particular is really useful for that. So, so other things like Dropbox and Evernote, which allow you to have one version of the file in the cloud. So let's look at some of the other things that you do when you're collaborating. And one of those, as I mentioned, is uh, meetings, online meetings. And so for, the, for that purpose, two of the tools that I use are GoToMeeting and Google Hangouts. And they both provide online video conferencing. And they're similar, and they have a number of features in common, such as video conferencing. Uh, Google Hangouts allows you to have a video conference with up to 10 people in the Hangout. Uh, GoToMeeting, I think, has up to, I think, 16 or 25 people that you can have in the meeting. And uh, there's some limits on how many can be on video, but they can all be on audio. And you can do things like share your screen, share documents, um, do the sort of things that you'd expect to do in an in-person meeting, but you can do them in the electronic version, like you can have a private chat with people. You, can, you share a document that people can that everyone can see at the same time. With Google Hangouts, you can play a YouTube video that everyone sees 
the video as it's going through and you can anyone can pause it and then have a conversation about that part of the video so you can use this for really uh, really effective online meetings and i use both of them uh, they both allow you to record your meetings with google hangouts they get recorded straight to youtube with GoToMeeting, they get recorded as a private file which you can then choose to share uh, either privately or publicly there are a number of options but, um, for both GoToMeeting and google hangouts i guess one of the big differences is that GoToMeeting does cost money whereas google hangouts is completely free but it's worth trying out both of them. If you don't already have an online meeting tool, uh, try both of them. And uh, I think you'll find that they're both very effective for getting people together without having to bring them all into the same room. Okay. So related to that, Gihan, I use Skype. We're using Skype right now. Um, and one of the almost always when I want to reach or make a phone call uh, as part of work, rather than reaching for my landline handset, which is right here on my desk, I'll fire up Skype instead. I think one of the reasons for that is because simply because I can use it with a headset. So I can put the headset on, I'm hands-free. It's better than telephone hands-free, the, the Skype headset. And that frees up my hands to, you know, to... Maybe we're doing a screen share, so if I can share my desktop, it's much easier to share my desktop with full access to the keyboard and those sorts of things. So just being able to use a headset with Skype um, is is a real win and a productivity gain. Um, and it, you can use the Skype out feature to call one eight hundred or to call any any standard phone number. So I use it for calling the toll free number we we use for our work teleconferences, or if I want a one on one conversation with one of my work colleagues who happens also to be a Skype user, then I'll generally contact them directly using Skype. Okay, so the next one is a password manager or password wallet, and the one I use is called LastPass. And basically what that does is stores all my passwords and has one master password that I have to remember, but it stores all my other passwords. So whenever I go to a web page that requires a password, it automatically fills it in for me. And that's got a number of benefits. The, the most obvious one is that I can be really secure about my passwords, so I can use different passwords for different sites, which I should do, which everyone should do, and they can be secure passwords. Passwords. I don't have to remember them all or write them down on sticky notes anywhere. Mm. I just have to remember the master password. And as with a number of the other tools we've talked about today, that does allow me to share that that password, all those passwords across my phone, tablet, and PC. So if I sign up to a website on my PC and it requires a password, as soon as I save that in LastPass, then that password is also available on my phone or my tablet. So I don't have to re-enter it there when I go, when I'm accessing that same site on a different machine. But the reason I've talked about this in the collaboration section is because it's got a very, very nice feature, which I think is only available in the paid version, but the paid version is Again, I think it's even cheaper than the one that I mentioned for Evernote. I think it's like $20 a year or something like that. Uh, it allows me to share my password securely with other people. So, for example, if I have a subcontractor or an outsourcer for a specific task, I get them to sign up to LastPass and they can sign up for the free version. And then I can send them the password to, let's say, my website. Let's say they're doing some maintenance on my website. I can say to LastPass, give this person access to the password for my website and then they don't see the password but when they go to the website LastPass will fill in the password for them without them actually seeing it so it means that I can temporarily give them access to it and when the project or the task is complete I can revoke that access and then they don't have access to it anymore and because they never knew the password I don't have to go around constantly changing all my passwords so I think that's a really useful and powerful collaboration tool and that's one of the features of LastPass that I particularly like. 
Yeah, it's very clever. It's very good. So at the start of this collaboration section, Gihan, you talked about the benefits of having a cloud-based service to, to underpin your collaboration, and that's because you have a single copy, uh, a single master copy of things in the cloud, and that's the reference copy that everyone works on. And so because I use Google's mail service, I also have access to Google's calendar tasks and contact lists all built into that service. And again, the, the benefits of ha having them all in one place in the cloud means I can access them from anywhere. If I update them using my smartphone, then they get updated everywhere else. From a collaboration standpoint, my, my contacts list is obvious. I've got access to all the people that I ever want to contact in my single contacts list in the cloud. Also, my Google Calendar, I can share and invite people that I'm collaborating with to events that are in my Google Calendar, and they can all see it as well. Okay, so we've covered a lot of tools so far, and we're coming up to our last section. So in the home stretch, let's talk about some of the, I guess, some of the lighter stuff, maybe fun stuff, and maybe more personal things. So these are specifically the things that, that you and I use, Chris, for some of our uh, other work that we do at work, which may not be so task-focused or project-focused. So one of the things that I uh, access daily as a productivity thing is to do with my own health and fitness, and that's an app on my phone called Noom. N O M, and uh, it's called Noom Coach, and it's a it's a health and fitness app mainly related to to healthy eating rather than necessarily uh, exercise fitness. So it allows me to log meals daily. It sends me interesting articles to read every day. It has little challenges for me to do, like have a look at foods in your fridge and make some replacements. And it does allow me to do recording of things like my goals and my progress towards my goals. And I just find that really um, it's nice to use, and it's nice to have that level of accountability and also to have that record and also to have a little bit of motivation at the start of each day to, to stay on my on my health and fitness path and there's a there's a whole bunch of other apps like this the one that i use is noom okay very good and i use um map my run specifically mm. for running mm. as the name suggests and uh, yeah again you can track how you're going whether you're improving and those sorts of things uh, and whilst i'm running i listen to podcasts uh, not just whilst i'm running i listen to podcasts a lot of the time much to my wife and daughter's chagrin, I think. Um, so I use Beyond Pod. It's a, uh, a really useful app on my smartphone. So I only use my smartphone for listening to podcasts, and I use that app on my smartphone. And one of the handy things, uh, it's a, an idea you introduced me to, Gihan, is that you can listen to it at uh, one, uh, one and a half or twice the speed. I can't quite manage the double speed. Sometimes I find things unintelligible at double the audio speed, but at one and a half times the speed, you can obviously get through uh, more podcast information uh, than you otherwise would at, uh, at the standard speed. And then things like it uh, makes it really easy to schedule the download, so overnight it, it updates the, any new podcasts and downloads them to my phone. Yep, and I use something very similar. It's called Podcast Addict, and for the very same reasons that you mentioned, Chris, and also think that uh, Apple users, if you've got an iPhone, then the the built-in podcast app also allows you to do those things as well. And the last thing that I want to mention is a mind mapping software. So not everyone uses mind maps, uh, and not everyone finds them really effective, but I do. And there's two bits of mind mapping software I use, and there's no real reason that I use two of them, except I just think I discovered them at different times. And so for historical reasons, I use both of them. So I use MindJet for my weekly goal settings at the start of each week. I make up a, a mind map of the things that I want to achieve in different parts of my personal and professional life. And it's like a to-do list, but it's, it's a little bit more visual, and it allows me to, to highlight things for the day and then tick them off as I do them. 
Um, and for a more long-term or permanent basis, I also use iMindMap, which is actually the one that's been uh, approved and endorsed and I think marketed by Tony Buzan, who invented the concept of mind mapping. And if I go to a meeting or an event and I want to take notes there, instead of just taking a, a written no a set of notes, I will generally draw a mind map and uh, as, as the as the event's taking place or as the, as the presenter's speaking. And then that also synchronizes to the cloud, so it's available on my, my phone, tablet, and PC. Excellent. All right, so I think we did get through those things in 30 minutes, Chris. Uh, Just. So that was pretty good. That was pretty good. So uh, as, a, as a closing thought, let me just remind you that, uh, that the general principle that we talked about at the start was this idea of cloud, open, and subscription. So have a look at the, the tools that you're using and just have a look. Uh, does your current productivity platform um, support these three principles? Are there cloud-based tools? Are they open and extensible? And are they free or subscription-based? And uh, if they're not, just look for alternatives that, that do fit those criteria. You won't always find them, but uh, sometimes you will. And sometimes you may say, well, it'll take a little bit of effort for me to switch. But that, that short-term pain of switching may be worthwhile because of the long-term gain that you get from using cloud open and subscription tools. Yeah, absolutely. And something else that we've said a couple of times that bears repeating is that these aren't necessarily the best tools. These are the ones that we found that work for us. Um, you might uh, have other tools that you use and are really happy with, but have a look around at some of, uh, some of the things that we've talked about today and examine what you're using. And maybe there is something that you can switch to that is cloud-based, open or free or subscription-based uh, and see if you can uh, yeah, make the switch and improve your productivity as a result. Fantastic. Uh, I guess we should also just mention the Out of Office book just before we finish off. You can go to outofofficebook.com and uh, get a copy of the book. We do have a section in there about productivity. And in fact, a number of the tools that we've talked about are scattered throughout the book because productivity is a big part of every out of office worker's work style. You can get a copy of the book and also our podcast notes from this episode at outofofficebook.com. Great. Thanks, Gihan. And uh, we'll be back in about a month's time with something else to talk about. In the meantime, uh, it remains to thank you and thank our listeners and say bye for now. Yeah, and stay productive. Thanks. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book out of office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.